Sustain 267. Welcome to Sustain 267 Podcast. I'm your host, Patakirisite. I'm sure by now you've heard the popular phrase, trust the scientists. So today we'll be having a chat around the scientists. To kick off with, to know who the scientists are, you need to know the IPCC. The IPCC is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. It's the United Nations body for assessing science related to climate change and producing reports on that. The IPCC was created to provide policymakers with regular scientific assessments on climate change its implications, potential future risks, as well as to put forward adaptation and mitigation options. And then through the assessments, the IPCC determines the state of knowledge on climate change at that point. It identifies where there's an agreement in the scientific community on topics related to climate change, so where the facts are, where the conclusions are, and then where further research is needed. Um, The IPCC reports are neutral, policy relevant, but they're not policy prescriptive. So they will be relevant to making policy, but they won't necessarily tell you which policy to make. And the IPCC has 195 member countries and Botswana is one of them. Today we'll be looking at the two reports which I feel are most relevant to us as a lo- as a landlocked country. So those would be global warming of 1.5 degrees, which was released in 2018, and climate change and land, which was from 2019. So if you've been hearing about a report, that's probably the one that's most popular currently. So I took time to look at the policymaker summary You can look at the full reports, but they are very, very lengthy. So I would recommend the policymaker summaries. I'll add links to them in the show description. So here are my thoughts from what I came across. Firstly, as I was reading, I started with the global warming of 1.5 degrees Celsius. As I was reading, I was first curious about what 1.5 degrees would mean practically for Botswana. How much less or more rain, temperature increases, like what would that mean for us? And then both of us um, needing to reach net zero emissions globally by 2050 to limit an increase of 1.5 degrees according to the report. Considering, I mean, forget Botswana, the whole of Africa contributes about 5% of global emissions. I get a bit worried that even if we pull our weight, where are the people with the real muscle who can make the biggest difference? Then also acknowledging that we're developing and a number of countries have developed on the back of high emissions. But then I also think our advantage is we can develop sustainably and develop right from the beginning. Instead of coming back and fixing what's broken, we can just get it perfect from the jump. Another thing that's, that stood out for me was social justice. This is something that I've been very curious about and I've been reading a lot on. So Social justice is a provision for retribution for poverty-stricken and unequal societies who will suffer the worst. By now, many of us have come across, have heard that sub-Saharan Africa, even though it contributes the least in terms of emissions, will be the worst affected. So personally, I feel like there should be social justice and retribution, considering that the worst affected areas are the ones contributing the least to the problem. The people creating the problem need to pick up the bill, but also not just financially, but structurally and in more sustainable ways, not just what going to continue to do what we've been doing and then just dish out more money. Like stop, reduce your emissions, do something besides just throwing money at it. And then moving over now to the 2019 report, what stood out the most for me with this one, um, something that I'm very passionate about as well, was the introduction of gender inclusive approaches to the reports. And I think it is very necessary. I've come across heartbreaking stories where in Africa, genders, yes, are both being affected by climate change but women way worse. I mean, in Mozambique, after Cyclone 
Idai, apparently some of the people who are responsible for giving relief packages were asking women for sexual favors as well. Also in East Africa with fish, with dwindling fish in the sea, fishermen now, instead of just selling for cash, are also asking for sexual favors. I'm glad to see that because I feel like by not being gender inclusive, it's basically excluding women because unfortunately the default gender is men. So that I was really happy about. Another thing that stood out to me was touching on lack of governance coordination. I like that it was brought up. There should be one voice of equal knowledge from your Ministry of Environment right to as low as VDC. Because what I've noticed is that the lower down the engagement, the more relevant the solutions. So some of the global solutions won't be relevant to Botswana. Some of the Botswana solutions won't necessarily be relevant to a certain district. The lower, the better. And then I'm also hoping in this coordination, they'll include um, civil society organizations and NGOs and the sort, because there are a number that are doing activities, but then how do we then consolidate those actions? When we then put together, let's say, our reports for progress, are those are, th- are those activities being recorded? Because personally, and a couple of friends, we've done some activities, but I'll tell you now that I know those activities are not anyway on official um, government documents or official bodies that record this kind of action. Lastly, would be on desertification. (laughs) That word always tricks me. So prevention and reversal options in Botswana. Considering that so many people are doing tree plantings, I wish we could have almost like a recommended recommended how-to on tree plantings Maybe if we could see the Department of Forestry a bit more so that even with our tree plantings, we're doing what's best because there are certain trees that shouldn't be here. I'm going to plant 80 trees thinking I'm doing what's best only to realize that yes, trees are great, but not that one and not where we've planted it. Those would be most of my reflections and then just on actions. I would think we need to reach for the low-hanging fruits in Botswana as government, independent organization and individual levels. I think anything else, if we try to, to start from tackling it way too big, then we'll just become overwhelmed and decide there's no point. In Sotswana, we say, so those were my reflections as someone who's just very passionate about this topic and who's gone through the reports. But today, I'm very excited about who I've got joining me, someone who's an expert in the conversation. So maybe there's some things that I've said where she'll just be like, but actually, you know, just reel it in. Joining me now, we have one of the 2019 100 most influential people in climate policy, 2007 Nobel Peace Prize certificate recipient as part of the ICC authorship for significant contribution to the scientific understanding of climate change and its implications for society. University of Environmental Change Scientist and Associate Professor in the Department of Environment Science. Professor Opa Polindube, thank you so much for making time to talk to me. Thank you, Pato. <laughs> thank you, thank you. That was a very good introduction. Thank uh, you. I a lot of aspects. Perhaps I can start by you know, connecting to Botswana. But I should say right at the beginning that um, given this uh, ongoing pandemic, it's very difficult to just talk about climate change and not mention that aspect. Mm. So you'll find that I I go in there. And I would also like to reflect even maybe significantly the global aspects as well, because there has to be somebody who's looking at the big picture. So, I mean, if if you talked about Botswana and, you know, how we can come in. Um, I want to say Botswana, like uh, the rest of the developing world, they find themselves in a really difficult situation when it comes to climate change. And then you have these others like COVID coming in, which 
you will appreciate that COVID has almost stalled any everything that you know, whatever the intention or the agenda development or NDP, yeah, all that is just like everything's yeah, on the back. It's all arrested. It's arrested. But while he's arrested, he also raises other things, you know, uh, which are crucial for issues that link to climate change and life sustenance. I mean, let's talk, look at the economy of Botswana. Oh. And the current situation is that under COVID, uh, scientists are, are finding that there is such a, a huge sudden drop in the emissions. Just two, three months, you know, uh, recording 5% at the global level, you know. And they say for the first time, most of us are breathing cleaner air without realizing it because of COVID-19. So it means sectors like tourism, where Botswana was thinking we can hang on, are now under threat. Uh, Basically, the tourism sector is like come to a standstill, and we don't know when the COVID is going to end. And so far, we realize it might pull us to next year. Who knows? Maybe another year. And, That's a bit and scary. then you ask yourself, you know, what what should Botswana do? And then the other thing is, uh, we had the wildlife, uh, you know, uh, contradictions with the international community when Botswana wanted to resume, you know, some measured, not really completely opening for 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 hunting, just measured mm. hunting, mm. and that caused a lot of tension. Right now, you start asking yourself that if there is no tourism, uh, how do we? Because the wildlife, we have to sustain it. You have to have of a course. whole wildlife department, and we sustain it from income coming from tourism. Mm. And by sustaining wildlife and conserving it, we are doing it for the global community. Because some of the wildlife we have are like the last end. Mm. The rest of the world has eliminated theirs. And so it starts, we start having those questions of how do we maintain this wildlife without maintaining our lives? But isn't there a way that we can then try to reduce our carbon footprint? Because I know in, I think I've heard of one in Zimbabwe and I think Lesotho, where after you travel, you can then pay, you can then buy carbon credits. I'm not a very big fan of carbon credits, but can't we use that to then try and reduce reduce our footprint in light of the fact that we are going to um, rely so heavily on on wildlife and tourism. And then also going back to the point of coal. Is there really no other way? Coal? <laughs> no, first the the, the 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 wildlife, you know, that is where we mm-hmm. t- it is that it means the issue of international coming out with a, a, a code in which from our conservation of wildlife, we should be receiving certain funds from the international community just for conserving Mm. the wildlife. Mm. You know, not that we should rely on the tourism because right now when people are not coming, what do we do? But we need to Mm. look after the wildlife. But at the same time, we need to live. So if really hunger becomes a big issue, it will be difficult to control hunting because people have to hunt. They will be hunting this time not for trophies, but actually not for, you know, importing some horns to China, but to really find something for the plate Mm. yes for the plate so that is where it is and i think it's a challenge there that the international community also should be looking at you know by conserving wildlife uh, which is um, uh you know how livestock our domesticated livestock contributes a lot of methane but wildlife is supposed to be a cleaner part of it so we should really be able to um be uh, receiving some, you know, like in the form of those carbon credits. Which yeah. In my understanding, the last COP didn't really come to a good agreement on how that should be calculated. It's still a hanging issue, by the way. Uh, yeah, that's so, also like not 
I'm a bit skeptical on it. Yeah. So that that also is a question mark. That's one thing. But coal, as you say, is not only a, the question of polluting, you know, the climate. It, it also mm. will have a lot of, you know, pollution that is local. It's going to affect us directly. That goes into the water system, leads to the cancers and all that kind of thing. Even if you say you're going to do cleaner way of getting the coal out, it can never be completely clean. So mm. really, if there is another choice, if you, if, mm. if you can find another choice, that is the better. But it is for you, the youth. Yeah. When you criticize the government on the coal, you must really come out and say, what is the alternative? Solar. That, that can take... Uh, it, it is, yeah. look, look the, the coal has got a much bigger power with solar. Yeah. 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 The solar is still developing. Yeah, not only that, but coal, look, they can go and sell it to China. Mm. Solar, you can do it for yourself. Huh? But, you know, South Africa also gets the same sun. Zimbabwe also does. So does uh, uh, the amount of uh, solar energy they're getting. So they could easily develop their own independently. Yeah. You know, so the question is, how far can you make uh, sell energy from solar to others? That's one, that one pending thing. We are talking about the big global economy. Yeah, but I think that's something I hadn't considered. Yeah, that is one, one question mark in, in, mm. in this thing. So there is really a need, uh, as we, we talk about climate change adaptation and mitigation, mm. to think that at the end people are going to think, I have to leave now. My child needs, needs a job. You know? yes. That is immediate. Mm. We need to find an immediate answer in order to get, to get that long-term plan as well. Otherwise, you're not going to get the community coming, you know, going with you when they don't know what they're going to eat tomorrow. Mm. So that is a challenge to all of us who are in the climate community as it's in the youth. But it's a challenge that we cannot handle on our own. It means we need to link up with other sectors, other stakeholders to really discuss these things in a broader, broader way to find solutions. But coming back to solar that you mentioned, it, as we are in, in COVID right now, it's very clear that had we developed our solar, Mm. We, we would be, life would be much easier for our education systems. Uh, UB right now says to me, we want to go online. And I say, where are the students? Are they connected? Some of them, once we said, you know, lockdown, they left, went out to the villages where the power yeah. is not even guaranteed, just power before you go to internet. <laughs> you know, sometimes you have to walk two kilometers, go and charge your phone in some places. So you see, if we have developed that uh, uh, solar energy and make sure that it goes into our community. The right now, our response to COVID will be slightly different, especially yeah. in the education part of it. Because once you've got the power, then the families it might find it easier even just to buy a TV set. And then the, the primary school education can run in the, through those things. Mm. But now you don't have that. So, I mean, it's a win-win. That's an area that is clearly a win-win that, you know, by developing yeah. solar for mitigation, we actually benefit ourselves. We empower our own people. We know that once you have empowered people with information, you talk about gender. Even just the number of children you are going to have. Once people are exposed to more information, they are more, much better off in dealing with those things. Even the diet, you know, you know, whether it's obesity and everything, quality of life improves when they have access to information, which requires that you must have the energy to find energy sources using available resources to us. At the same time, we should mention that apart from selling, selling solar out, there is still a lot of uh, science needed to develop the energy, solar energy to a state where it is really as powerful as the coal-driven energy to run mm. industry. 
you know, uh, let alone just uh, if you want a vehicle that is solar, you know, based, then you want to drive from here to Maum. You know, what what are you going to have? I mean, you're, you'll be having a battery that will need to be recharged somewhere. The science hasn't gone in strongly. And the reason why the science hasn't gone in strongly is because those who have got the resources, who's supposed to channel the resources, resources to that research, are still, you know, relying on the, you know, the carbon, you know, driven economy, if you like. So the banks and the financing system haven't really come out strongly to finance that aspect or the funders of risk. Yeah, I know. Right now there's a big divestment movement um, where people are calling for their banks. I know Africa Development Bank is one of them, and then they said they wouldn't be investing in any more, I think, coal mines, they said. But people are also just calling for their individual personal banks to stop investing in coal and look to channeling their money towards more sustainable energy. Yeah, it is a very tricky situation for the government of Botswana because then they are, at the moment, they are trying to develop the infrastructure, you know, to export the coal. And that could cost millions, if not billions. But uh, also there's a big worry that coal stations, once, once they... Once they've been established, they need around 30 to 50 years. They, they take long before they actually die out. So if you start a new one now, and most of the pollution that you get strongly from Asia, they are from new coal stations. Yeah, this is why I'm saying we need to put our heads together as to provide a really concrete alternative. Because government means us. It doesn't mean, you know, the parliament and the, and the people there. They rely on what comes from us, if you like. Yeah. And then the other aspect uh, in terms of mitigation for Botswana is the land use aspect, maybe, where mm. we have a lot of um, options and, and what we do, they benefit us. In particular, just the issue of deforestation, land degradation. Mm. So, you know, managing our livestock, you know, to make sure that we don't degrade the land, because when you degrade the land, you you change the whole you know energy flow between the land and the atmosphere you know they do lots of you know the rays just strike and they are going back it's very different from when there is vegetation and then you 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 lose the soil which is the productive they say much of the fertilization of the of the the, the oceans in the Namibia side, which leads to pro- good production of fish, is soil that is coming from here, that in the coast of Namibia, and it stimulates uh, f- fish food. So you can see that you lose it to some, because the, the, the air picks it. This, so you lose productivity, of long-term productivity of soil. You are the direct loser yourself. And, and vegetation is, is an important sequester, a cleaner of carbon dioxide. So if we... Of course. more vegetation. Then we have something to build, which here it is. It is only not in the fires. Fires are a very big, uh, quick way of eliminating huge amount of carbon in a, in a very two days, you know, carbon that has been stored for many years. So those are some of the things that I think we could have a major role. And when you degrade the land, uh, you know, using fire, you also affect the water resources, you know, because mm-hmm. now if you're going to get the rain when... The land is just no vegetation. Water runs very quickly. It carries the soils and it runs very far. It doesn't sink into the soil to create the moisture that is vegetation for long. It's runoff. So that is, those are some of the things. And then that runoff 
also goes to, it carries sedimentation, so it, it fills up the water resources. So where you had a pond that is deeper, it becomes mm-hmm. shallow and increases the prob- pros- possibility of flooding. So there are all this whole thing that, you know, if you maintain the land uh, in terms of management and conservation of vegetation, you, you are also contributing to mitigation, but you also benefit directly yourself. And you know, exactly. when you've got fires and you Everything is connected. It's an ecosystem. It leads to your health. I mean, one of the people talk about COVID as if it's not linked to climate. It is mm. actually does link climate indirectly, although there are some little bit of research that shows, yeah, it, leads, it is actually uh, if the, the, the environment is very hot, the virus may have a hard time, but only when it's outside the human body because the human temperature is constant, isn't it? Mm. So once it's in you, and it's managed to get to another person, whether it's hot or cold, it will still keep doing that, as long as the two of us are meeting and, and sharing. So we have to be clear on that. Connection between the virus and climate and wind things comes maybe in an indirect way. You know, if you look at some of the people who are considered most vulnerable to COVID, there are people who have ailments like asthma, you know, that are linked very much to pollution. The amount of pollutants in the air is the one that is making so many people now have a condition called asthma. And those people who are asthmatic also respiratory lightly to really have a hard time handling this, this, this virus. If it's non-communicable diseases, you know, that are indirectly linked, you know, with pollution. You know, pollutants, whether they are in the food system through, uh, like we're talking about mining, you know, the coal and ending up with pollutants that are carried by water, which you drink, that go into the ve- ve- to the food system that you eat. Some of them are linked to fertilization, pesticides, uh, and they're carried by water. You know, some of them are carried by wind. Eventually, they, they, they have a way, in a way, a link between that with diabetes, you know, sugar diabetes. Mm-hmm. It's also linked to people exposed to food that are, has been, you know, carries, carries these pollutants. And once you are diabetic, we know that you're also more likely to be hit by COVID fairly easily. <laughs> Similarly with the, with, with, with the, you know, heart diseases, you know. During a drought time, the heart diseases and high blood pressure, they come through stress. And that stress sometimes linked with many years of unsustainable, you know, uh, very risky agriculture. You know, farmers mm. ha- have to ignore this. It, it's the same thing the Iodai thing in, 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 in Mozambique. The impact on human health is not only the direct, it's also the, the suffering of the emotional side and the depression that leads to those conditions of high blood pressure and heart, heart diseases. And you, once you are in it and you go into the whole regime of, of living through the, the medication, you are now mm. a candidate that is vulnerable to, to COVID-19. Uh, and some of those de- take obesity. is also an issue which makes you very vulnerable to COVID. But obesity mm. also comes from long eating. And you now change your diet now mm. because now you are eating from the shops. You, now, you end up with all those you know, poor diets that we know about that have no nutrients but only make you fat. And you know, fast that's one food. And yeah, you have yeah, fast food and... When you are just a low income as well, you, you eat whatever you get. And secondly, the, the, the nutrients content of the food is declining because of the emissions. You know, remember, plants take carbon dioxide from the air, so they yeah. have to form carbohydrates. So if you are putting too much of that, there is an indication that um, the quality of the nutrients in the food that has been produced is, is, is declining. 
And so your body keeps telling you that I need to eat more because it's saying you don't have enough nutrients, but you have eaten. And there is now any, a link. I mean, we're looking at the statistics from the COVID in the U.S. Most of the, the black people are more vulnerable, not, not only because they are frontline workers, but also because of mm. diet, you know, the obesity issue. So obesity is another element that makes you more vulnerable to COVID, you know. So mm. people talk about COVID and they forget climate change completely. But climate change uh, stresses have actually built, it, it has an input mm. in building that, you know, population that is now very vulnerable to COVID. That is one thing that, that we are not linking strongly with that I think needs to be, to be picked. But for that to be picked, or maybe I can go back to WHO and yeah. the issue of um, disaster management. Mm. If you, just here in Botswana, COVID has come in, I'm sure you yourself, uh, maybe we have the names of the people who are in the COVID coordinating, uh, I don't know what they call it, coordinating team or coordinating committee. I don't think there is much of a clear environment representation. Do you? No. No. <laughs> it's just medical, eh? Very mm. strongly medical. Medical and men. Next thing is the, the of course, yeah. And yeah, and medical <laughs> men. Is just, yes. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very much medical. <laughs> medical men. And, and then the other thing is, although they bring in other sectors like the unions, it's more like... Um, looking at the immediate losses in terms of uh, unemployment and food, mm. you know, that people will be happy because they are locked down. But they don't really bring the environment aspect. So the, the telecom that I was having with somebody from WMO in Geneva, we were just talking about the fact that there is the Sendai disaster risk reduction framework. And that includes mm. biological, you know, linked disasters. It includes this pandemic. But somehow mm. when the COVID issue came in, there is no link in the major, within even the major UN bodies themselves, to link now the WHO with WMO or with that code. And the disaster team from the environment has been there for many years. We have the, the skills of how to, to handle the disasters. But mm. they, they, there is no link with that. It's the, the, the health issue of COVID is run parallel, you know, like the other part is irrelevant. Here yeah. in Botswana, I'm in the disaster management technical committee of the, of the, of the, which falls NDMO, which falls under the office of the president. Yeah, we we're already asking each other, we are a committee, you know, which is composed of different people from the ministries, different sectors. Yeah. And so we, we, we were expecting that we, we should be calling a meeting, you know, we expect the disaster management office to, to start calling the technical committee to, to look at this coming disaster, which mm. is the usual thing that happens. You know, there'll be a discussion like because of the Oka already okay, we're monitoring it and, and the, the district is but in COVID it was just silent and, and you were asking what's happening and when you which then empowers the director of public health is one who is supposed to act and so we in the disaster management are not really central to this issue. It also goes back to um, what was said in one of the reports, the, um, the governance coordination, that everyone should be working together, find a way for all parts to work together so you're maximizing on the knowledge and resources that are present. Yes, but but uh, I don't think it, 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 it... Yes, it's happening, but not as adequate as it should and now we're looking at the recovery after COVID. 
And that recovery is not only for, it's global. And that is where the issue of mitigation comes in. That is where you can be saying, okay, now we have, this pandemic has taught us something that we can reduce the emissions, although Mm. it's in a painful way. Now Mm. we want to recover. Do we recover going back again? You know, that is the time to plan that green economy, isn't it? You know, Mm. but if you don't bring in those sectors that I'm talking about, especially that are conscious of, of these issues of emissions, the, then the recovery of from COVID is going to be as usual of some kind. Then, Especially if you get a vaccine. If you get a vaccine very quickly, people will just like, okay, now I'm going for my, you know, uh, tourism and I'm back into my manufacturing. It's going to be like quickly back again. You know, we, we are almost like in a teaching. We, we could still, it, it, it's the right of the Mm. you know, decarbonizing, moving away from a carbon-locked economy and, and opening up to some at the moment. And there, there is not even a discussion. There is no way you see that discussion coming out within the governments. And we we should add that COVID came at a very, in a world that is, in a way we can say, unsettled, yeah. where, you know, it was a lot of corporate, Relation between the countries and the the chain the U.S. brought it not only U.S. but perhaps since the 2008 economic depression, mm. there's been a change in the political environment worldwide where people become more nationalistic. You know, my country kind of thing. Yeah. So the collaboration be between fascist. countries is a bit lower. Remember when when COVID came is when the U.S. and China were having all those trade wars. Yeah. Uh, and China was looking at U.S. as a, a, a potential to really, you know, endanger its own standing economically mm. in the world. Mm. So it's a, a difficult about trying to meet uh, Paris. How do you manage it? Because for a country as small as Botswana, it can only make an impact, you know, if we are collaborating with others. If we are just on our own, it's very difficult. So when when this you know uh, you know being a, a collaboration, being a working together into a more protectionist or protectionistic politics, if you like, then and you know that becomes a real big problem. And it's a problem which, in a way, facilitated COVID to to, to really entrench itself. You know, because everybody was looking at my economy, of course. Uh, yeah, there are indications, you know, even if we don't have one, majority of the science seems to point that the virus is zoonotic, meaning it comes from an, a, a, an animal before it goes into a human being. Whether there was a middle, another middle animal, and that animal is a pet, of course. Yeah. Mamantuan, yeah? Mamantuan. <laughs> I mean, much of the now is lab those who have studied the digital they show it it's, it has got 80% percent similarity mm. with the free was also from the best yeah mm. but the issue is we don't know how it found its way into the population that is where the politics is you know which no. is not mentioned along uh, of this I, c- I came across a rather interesting article um that when linking pandemics, COVID-19, and just other, and we hope not, future pandemics, they said, as we, are, as we are encroaching on rainforests and on where the animals live, mm. and we're starting to interact with them, which is causing different environmental issues. 
then we are getting closer to diseases and viruses that have previously been known to those certain kinds of animals. So as we're getting deeper into the forest, we're getting closer to, let's say, those frogs that we previously didn't interact with, thus we are exposed to their diseases. That's where the next pandemic might come from. Yes, because is there, there are a couple of things in there. It's a question of a population increase, fine, mm. but the question agriculture is not productive. We, we, you know we go around the pan, yeah? we mm. have to now go for other alternatives. Mm. So people also look for alternative food, food systems if the, the normal food system is not working. It is also an introduction of the monetary system, mm? Maadi, you know. Yes. Now they are not going to look for this alternative food system only for their plate. They are also looking for them in order to generate little income. Gauri, yeah. you need to be putting on shoes. You need to be mm. dressed some. You know, there is this aspect. They are, they are, where they are harvesting, it's not the same as they were harvesting in the past. Because there is a, an indication that where COVID comes from, those people do uh, go in into the caves of the beds. You know, they interact with the beds. It means mm. it's something that they've been doing for a long time. But the difference is that because they can sell at the market and the mm. one who is buying or is the middleman is trying very hard to buy at a very low price. You know how you follow the women mm. in the who are catching panicomo. And then you're trying to go negotiate. Mm. And you buy you want to buy as low as yes. And then you go and buy and sell this thing at high prices in Africa, eh? Which is mm. we hear that Mopani Worms Ghana, there is huge profit when it's now sold that side. So it mm. means one who is harvesting on the ground has to really put a lot more effort. Forget about the conventions of, of conservation that maybe, and even the traditional norms of protecting someone from getting into that disease. You may mm. find that they have been interacting with that animal for a long time in the past because there were certain codes. You can't go in now or you have to do it this way. And then the other thing is in the global community, our developed technologies of Transportation means uh, one minute, the following day you are, you are in Kaburud, mm. you're selling it. So whatever you picked today uh, is in gaps. You sell it to me, mm. I'm off to Japan. For mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> conference. And I've already carried the thing all over. So this is how, it, so that is, mm. that is one challenge that, uh, it's a challenge which comes because while we are so connected, some, sometimes we don't want to accept that we are connected. Mm. So I talked about the, the, the loss of uh, people thinking that they want nationalistic government. Like Trump says, uh, America for mm. America first. America first. So maybe we say Botswana <laughs> first. Exactly. So that kind of thing is to deny. It's like we are denying our own shadow. The shadow mean that, meaning that we are denying that we are so highly interconnected. Mm. Den- denial of interconnectedness means that we think that I can be rich here in America and I can ignore those communities in, what do you call it, Wuhan or whatever they are, mm. as they are, because they are there. But you don't realize connectivity means whatever debt they have, one day it will be on your way because things move so fast in a connected world. So one of the that we've been advanced, we need to get to a stage to agree that the world has moved now to a stage where there is this huge interconnectivity and the, the way the earth system works means that we have entered a very different period in the history of, of the earth system. You know, the, we call that the Anthropocene, the geological time. The name is Anthropocene, meaning okay. that before you entered the Anthropocene, we lived under what was called the Holocene. 
which is these are geological time scales. Mm. Holocene meaning that your time, your, the forces that was controlling the rain or the nutrients or everything was really natural. It's all the natural systems. But now it's very difficult to find a natural system. We live in a world that is really influenced by human beings from every corner. And also the connection between the human beings is the strongest ever you have ever seen in the world. That is mm. why something happens in, 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 in Wuhan has now defined how we live here in Botswana okay? and how everybody is living. So we, we, that if we are very, very different now from the world was century, mid-17th century. Accepting that means even the technologies we, we, we develop and even the way we handle wealth, and, and accessibility of wealth and, and, the, and, and, the, and, the, and the knowledge systems has mm. to change, you know. Uh, let's talk about, within this, come back to mm. COVID, yeah? COVID yeah. is a virus. We haven't found the, the medicine for, for, for curing it, isn't it? But when we talk like that, we are talking the language of modern science, okay? Mm. We are talking a language where of a certain uh, society, not, we don't want to look at the, 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 the medical abilities of other societies, whether they can have a role in COVID. To an extent that when mm. Madagascar comes out with his tea, people laugh. They say, ah, it's not been tested. Exactly. You're sitting there as a Matwana child. If your mother gets sick with COVID, you have nothing to do, isn't it? That Embracing indigenous knowledge. Exactly. And look at it. We had an NGO there called Tusan Olufati. Hmm? They were selling two, they, ha, they have two uh, teas that were selling, Lingana. Mm. Artemisia is the same, I think, tea that Madagascar is selling there. That is the same Artemisia. My mother was telling me um, the other day, when they used to drink it all the time growing up in their tea. So she was talking to her sister, and we used to drink it every day. My mama, she just thought, they drank it because it was what's available. But then Bahulu knew that this will prevent that. This is why we need this in our diet. Yeah, exactly. You know? And then the other one that the Tusalon of Fatsuma said, I think you are Lipia Javanica. That is another mm. tea, which, which also deals with respiratory issues and things like that. If you tell me that the disease emanates from ancestors, through hunting and things like that, they may have mm. encountered some of these versions or varieties of, of mm. diseases. And that is why they had these knowledges. I mean, we are mentioning these two things, but we don't know how many are out there, which may, you know, reduce the impact, the symptoms. They may not heal the disease because of virus, I guess. But what mm. you want to do is to reduce its impact and give the body the chance to fight it. Mm. And if we have those things, why can't we use them? If you talk about them, tell you, Hore, these things haven't been tested. But By what who? is testing? <laughs> testing in science, modern science, means observing. They observe things and they test it. These items we are talking about have been observed for generations and generations. And that is the test, you know? The fact that they, they, they have been used by society for so many years, mm. that is an indication. They have been tested. What kind of test do you want? That's, that's the question. Exactly. The only reason we are not using them is because we live in a world, in an Anthropocene, where... We are one society dominates even with its knowledge and values. It dominates yeah. the rest of the world. So that your 
knowledge is made, you are made to believe that your own knowledge is inferior. Mm. Your, the education system does your mind, and it does it so strongly <laughs> that you really end up believing who will all die. What is very, very interesting is that the same people who tell you that your knowledge is not important, once mm. they find something that is actually valuable, they take it. And they end up, they call themselves, they say they discovered it. Yes, and then they, <laughs> they repackage it. Then they and repackage then, it. Yeah, and, re, and call it different names and all of that, uh, hmm. stuff like that. Yet they took it from. The impact of dominance of knowledge system is also the source of vulnerability. Because hmm. some of that knowledge is actually robust to use at a certain local area. Now we go and collect knowledges that are not even... We end up picking up technologies and ways of doing things that are mm. not really applicable for certain different local areas because they are from the dominant uh, uh, group, that kind of thing. So by ignoring knowledge systems of, of other places, we create vulnerability even to climate change because some of those knowledge systems include even you know, options for, 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 for how to react to how even diet, you know, that kind of thing. My mm. hope is that when we hear that the current government wants to bring in local languages, languages, you know, we know how we always have Setswana in English. From my hearing is that in the education system now we are going to introduce other languages. And you can never take somebody's language without taking their culture. So I want to believe that maybe by bringing those languages in other knowledge systems on the table. In COVID-19, would have been a very good time to say for all the courses that LinkedIn Hore, it presents itself this way, this way, this way. We hear the origin is from this. Even under isolation, talk amongst yourselves whether there are any potential, you know, uh, healing or, or herbal or which you think you can address this kind of ailment. You know, mm. your courses should have been involved in that aspect. In their own village, they know in your healing system found an ailment that is close to this, and what did you use to, to reduce the impact? Take a, a scorpion poisoning. You know, but mm. I have been able to heal that yeah, scorpion. And when you get a scorpion poisoning, when you're at your age, when I it mm. might not be as big an issue. But when you think somebody who is 80 years old, 25, mm. it does nothing like You know, it raises the blood pressure of the person. It affects their respirator. But mm. Botswana internal doctors were able to handle that, that poison in COVID. Just like the modern, modern medicine is trying other drugs. I can look at they are trying. Exactly. No, now we should they be given are, a chance yes. to try. Exactly. They are trying and they've been telling us that they made huge uh, mistakes. A number of deaths came because sometimes they everybody who came and they checked on the extra lungs, they just plugged in these ventilators. Mm. But the ventilators only destroy the lungs sometimes. They make mistakes, they try, people die, it's accepted. But if a mm. traditional doctor makes a mistake and you die, oh my God, that's it. <laughs> that, yeah, cancel the <laughs> whole know, so system. We, hey, it's all gone. So we are protecting, it means we have other knowledge systems that we protect for them to try themselves, perfect themselves, and then we suppress the other knowledge system. And to me, that is the source of vulnerability. So we, in this environment where we are, we need all, some of them work better than you know, taking important knowledge system from elsewhere. That's one of the things. I think also, um, while we are now on this point, 
where can the non-scientists contribute to, to let's say, the, the bigger picture of climate change? Because I'm not an environmental scientist. And a lot of people now who are getting involved are not environmental scientists. It's a thing of their reading and getting an appreciation. I think one of the reasons we are not making any progress, one of the reasons we haven't made enough progress mm. uh, in, with climate change is, is because we took a long time to incorporate even the social sciences, even the night, you know, uh, the way the knowledge has been advanced, it's been advanced from that knowledge dominance thing which I was talking about. You know, mm. talking in terms of um, global warming and you know, the big terminologies, you know, that, mm. that make the old woman go, how am I going to translate this to them? Mm. But in fact, we should be, um, in my first project on change in 2003, talking to communities, Mm. In one meeting where we had talking about climate change. Because they are dealing with these things every day. They are dealing with drought every day. There's no need for you to, to come with any big technologies. That mm. is the link where the whole thing... People can come in if you discuss the matter in terms of their experience, their life. You become relevant to them. Come to Madube because I can tell the world there is huge. Look how now we fight for space for Africa's voice. Africa's voice must come in. And, mm. and it takes a hell lot of your energy and a hell lot of your stress. You just stay out. They've changed the agenda. They've gone. Yep. For their own interests. Yep. In Africa, your country, gone. So you are unable, in my position, I wish it becomes difficult for me to really have a, a consistent communi- community engagement as mm. I should. You know, mm. and hence we need bridging organizations like yourselves who then take this uh, and break it down uh, in the community language. So mm. it's very easy to start there. Yeah. And the next thing is, we need government help. So yeah. now it means you build a, a, a support system of a community. With, together you can approach government, <laughs> you mm. know, to do it. You know, let's take Mopani Wems. Uh, mm-hmm. We once had a community meeting with mm-hmm. communities. They have got a skill. Mm-hmm. And you have other countries like Bumalawe, where Mopani tree is there, and Pani Leonate Nkunuku. And you can see how there is a potential to actually have a Mojana Pani catcher. This is a skill we we are not using. They won't find it easy to go to Malawi. Of course. So, really, um, I I, I like, you know, it it is yourself, the youth, to really hit your brains because also there's so much unemployment Mm. on how can this make a, how can I make a living out of this, you Mm. know, and, and, and make an impact in society. One of the things that COVID brings, this need to develop local capacity. Mm. We shouldn't completely rely on a global, you know how the global chains are now cut off. You know, yes. it's the food, but it's many other things. Suddenly, South Africa are not traveling. We have to find our own way. So there is need to develop this local capacity. I mean, that is one very clear message that is coming out so strong. Also, that message comes with that indication. Uh, 
any policy intervention is very difficult because the global, this dominance of eating, mm. and they, it is not accidental. By plan, I market the developed world. But they shouldn't develop the government. They actually compete and they suppress this, this knowledge system. So what are the policy is clearly a major one of the duty. They do local, they are tough. Yeah, it developed. Hey, mm-hmm. how quickly our engineering department was able to the hood, the ventilators. They wouldn't exactly. do that if the, 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 the China and South Africa was still open. Three million masks. We wouldn't do that. Give it to roads. How can we use this period to make sure that those uh, capabilities that we have noted can actually find a window? Once again, thank you so much for talking to me. This conversation was quite mind-blowing for me. Um, just making some of the connections between our livelihoods and climate change and some of the nuances of the connections I'd never thought to make. And then as you're making them in my mind, I'm just like, actually, yeah. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Sustain 267. I'll be hosting new episodes every week exploring climate change and sustainability in Botswana. I was your host, Batakilisite, and the sound engineer was Maleho. Like our Facebook page, Sustain 267, share your thoughts, a little bit of feedback, and any recommendations for topics you'd like us to explore so you get to know more on. Until next week, let's stay safe and follow government regulations to ensure we beat COVID-19. Take care. Sustain 267.